Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. Today's show, we're going to do a Memorial Day segment before we even go into anything out of respect for the fallen. We'll then go into our show with the uh, normal intro stuff of uh, tweets of the day and hate tweets, etc. We'll also cover a segment on fidget spinners, because they're the devil. Internet porn statistics that I fell across looking for fidget spinners. Tell me the internet just, just isn't about freaking porn. I don't know. Um, and then news and social media nuggets. So, without further ado, let's pay respect to the fallen. Our brotherhood is etched in stone. This unbeaten path we walk is never alone. And through the trails of terror, there is no obstacle we won't fear. Because we are unbroken. Unbroken. I would die for you. And you would give your life for me. The very sense of being free. And we revisit the times of past as if I wish they would never fade and always last. For no demon real or in mind could ever challenge the courage of brotherhood tested in time. So may we walk in the memory of those who forever hold the burden of our freedoms. And I promise to never let your memory die because I'm free in it. You are always with me and never forgotten. That was an interlude by Matt Best, (coughs) 11X, that I was moved by this week. And as tradition is on our show, we always go into the background of it. Um, first and foremost, this is a holiday I I despise in a way because it brings up a lot of memories, um, a lot of friends that are gone, and uh, a level of guilt that goes with it uh, for some reason, uh, which is weird uh, because I did make it out of the wars and my service without dying, it, it always kind of hits home how that's not fair, uh, especially as we get into um, the amount of soldiers that have passed just in these wars is quite a bit. But um, Memorial Day was known as a decoration day in 1870 in St. Paul. The practice of decorating soldiers' graves with flowers is an ancient custom. Soldiers' graves were decorated in the U.S. before and during the American Civil War. Some believe that an annual cemetery decoration practice began before the American Civil War and thus may reflect the real origins of Memorial Day. 
Annual decoration days or particular cemeteries are still held on Sunday in late spring or early summer in some rural areas of America South, notably in mountain areas. In cases involving a family graveyard or remote ancestors, as well as those who are deceased, more recently are buried, this may take on a character of an extended family reunion to which some people... Travel hundreds of miles. People gather on the designated day and put flowers on graves, renew contact with relatives and others. There are often is religious service and a picnic-like dinner on the grounds, the traditional term for potluck meal at a church. Following Abraham Lincoln's assassination uh, in April 1865, commemorations were ubiquitous. The sheer number of soldiers on both sides who died in the Civil War meant the burial and memorialization took a new cultural significance. Under the leadership of women during the war, an increasingly formal practice of decorating graves had taken shape. In 1865, the federal government began creating national military cemeteries for the Union War Dead. Um, the Richmond Times Dispatch newspaper claimed in 1906 that Warrington, Virginia, was the location of the first Civil War soldier's grave ever to be decorated. It was June 3rd, 1861. There's also documents of Savannah, Georgia decorated Confederate soldiers' grades in 1862 and an 1863 cemetery dedication at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania was, of course, a ceremony of commemoration at the graves of dead soldiers. In addition, local historians in Bullsburg, Pennsylvania, claim that ladies were decorating soldiers' graves July 4th, 1864, and uh, they promote themselves as the birthplace of Memorial Day. Historian David W. Blight, citing an observance after the end of the Civil War in Charleston, South Carolina on May 1865, has claimed that African Americans invented Memorial Day in Charleston. Um, but in 2012, Blight stated they had no evidence that it was true. The federal government has designated an official birthplace of, of the holiday. On May 26, 1966, Johnson signed presidential proclamation named Waterloo, New York, as the holder of the title. The action followed House Concurrent Resolution 587, which the 89th Congress had officially recognized the patriotic tradition of observing Memorial Day it had begun 100 years ago in Waterloo, New York. Uh, there is no dispute that the holiday gained national recognition after the Civil War, in 1868, when General John A. Logan of the Grand Army of the Republic, an organization of Union veterans founded in Decatur, Illinois, established it as a time for nation to decorate the graves of the Union, war dead with flowers. By the 20th century, various Union and Confederate memorial traditions celebrated on different days merged, and Memorial Day eventually extended to honor all Americans who died while in military service. Um, it's um always been something that just annoyed the crap out of me that most Americans they just recognize it as a um day to be barbecuing, watch the Indy five hundred or hockey. Today's hockey in uh Nashville, that's that's all they talk about. But to see the sacrifice and why most of us surviving vets look at it differently. These are the total war dead 
Revolutionary War, 4,435. War of 1812, 2260. Indian Wars, 1,000. Mexican Wars, 13,283. The Civil War, we lost 498,332. I've heard 600,000 when you connect the, the Confederate um, on it. It's almost a million. Spanish-American War, 2466. World War I, 116,516. World War II, 405,399. Korean War, 54,266. All over the internet, Vietnam War is 90,000, but I thought it was less. Persian Gulf War was 1,565. And uh, on these current wars... 6,852 Americans have died. 900,000 have been injured. Um, Two-thirds of the killed or wounded by IDs. And of those, almost 1,000 were killed by Iranian IDs, which is something that I don't think Obama understood. And for me, that was the hardest thing about the Iranian deal. Um, Iran's not really our friend, even if liberals want to think it is. Um, But where it hits home for me is Fort Campbell, Kentucky. The base has lost 229 Soldiers. And I would like to take the time to read their names. And this is in reverse order, starting in 2017. Specialist Booker, Staff Sergeant Moriarty in November 2016. Staff Sergeant McEnroe in November 2016. Staff Sergeant Llewellyn in November 2016. First Lieutenant Cooper died in September 2016. Staff Sergeant Dean Jonathan died December 2008. Sergeant William McClellan, November 2008. Sergeant Metcalf, October 2008. Private First Class Cole, Jennifer, August 2008. Sergeant First Class Chevalier, July 2008. Sergeant Aragon, June 2008. Sergeant First Class Reed, June 2008. Sergeant Evans, May 2008. Private Hunnert, May 2008. Corporal Ellis, May 2008. Staff Sergeant Craig and Staff Sergeant Bolander died the same day, April 2008. Specialist McCormick died May 2008. Staff Sergeant Whitehead, April 2008. Private First Class Bishop died April 23rd. Also, First Lieutenant Cunningham the same day in April 2008. 
On April 21st, 2008, Specialist Christopherson and Specialist or Sergeant Kohlhaas died. Specialist Brosh, April 2008. Staff Sergeant Brown, April 2008. Specialist Fairbanks and Private First Class Penley died in April 2008. In February of 2008, Private First Class Phillips, Sergeant Alvarez, Corporal Bitten, and Specialist Matlock Jr., and Staff Sergeant Washington all passed. In January 2008, Staff Sergeant Wilson, Sergeant Berkman, Staff Sergeant Whiting, Private First Class Kimmy, Private First Class Sherritt, Specialist Sigby, Sergeant Hart, Private First Class Merlo, Private First Class Paneer, and Staff Sergeant Manseth passed. Overfallen is probably the better term. In December 2007, Captain Snyder, Sergeant Hernandez, and Private White. In November of 2007, Staff Sergeant Martin, Specialist Franklin, Captain Tiffner, and Second Lieutenant Alger. In October 2007, Sergeant Grease. In April 2007, Corporal Beatles. In March 2007, Sergeant Forshi. In February 2007, Specialist Biggers. In December 2006, Sergeant Atkins. On the same day, November 2nd, 2006, Lieutenant Colonel Finkel and Staff Sergeant Cage paid the ultimate sacrifice. In October 2006, First Lieutenant Bach, Sergeant Weingart, and Private First Class Williams. In September 2006, Sergeant Weir. In August 2006, Staff Sergeant Deason, Sergeant Mosman, Specialist Zayas, Corporal Zamora, Sergeant Clark, Staff Sergeant Seal, and Private First Class Kubik. In July 2006, Specialist Sampson, Captain Russell, Corporal Fargo, Corporal Bauman, Sergeant Turner, all paid the ultimate sacrifice. In June 2006, Corporal Buckley, Staff Sergeant Bier, Private First Class Bear, Private Menchuk, Private First Class Tucker, Specialist Babino, Sergeant First Class McSwain. In May 2006, Staff Sergeant Halson, Major Whirl, Chief Warrant Officer Weeks, Private First Class Zisk. In April 2006, Sergeant Sakoda, 
Staff Sergeant Bandendale, Private Zimmerman, Private First Class Tennell, Specialist Waits, Specialist Garner, Sergeant First Class Lamberson, Sergeant Collins, Sergeant First Class Rogers, Corporal Johnson, all paid the ultimate sacrifice. In March 2006, Private First Class Denus, Sergeant Pinson, Corporal Gonzalez, Corporal Yates, Private First Class Zewade. On the same day, March 13, 2006, Staff Sergeant Silva and Sergeant Dan. In February 2006, Private Powers, Private First Class Moore, Private First Class Marion, Staff Sergeant Gorley, Sergeant Jones, Captain Garcia, Corporal Kempel, Specialist Mercedes, Corporal Zamora, Private First Class Messer, Specialist Owens, Private First Class Vigzone, First Lieutenant Avery, Specialist Bustamante, all of them died on the same day. In January 2006, Private First Class Schaff, Sergeant Herrera, Staff Sergeant Durbin, Sergeant Hunter, Specialist France, Sergeant Yazzie, Sergeant Flanagan, Staff Sergeant Scott, Private First Class Shepherd, Specialist Upchurch, Sergeant First Class Bishop, and Staff Sergeant Vanderhorn all paid the ultimate sacrifice. In December of 2005, Staff Sergeant Teha, Private Fender, Sergeant First Class Dosti, Specialist Tuia, Specialist Lopez, First Lieutenant Britt, Staff Sergeant Mason, Sergeant Casquia, Staff Sergeant Nelson, Sergeant Floyd, Private First Class Seekert, Corporal Shelton, all paid the ultimate sacrifice. In November of 2005, Sergeant Januk, Specialist Knopp, Sergeant Mee Woosen, Staff Sergeant Bass, Sergeant Indanen, Specialist Hilton, Corporal Blair, Staff Sergeant Karols, First Lieutenant Zielinski, Private First Class Gawkey, Corporal Widner, Specialist Roman Cruz, Private First Class Grig, Specialist Holly, Staff Sergeant Estep, Sergeant First Class Hayes, Staff Sergeant Fegler, Private First Class McKenzie, Specialist Smith, Specialist Munger, all paid the ultimate sacrifice. On the same day, October 31st, 2005, Private Jason John, Adam Johnson, Private First Class Martin, Specialist Byler, and Sergeant First Class Tesser October 11th, 
Staff Sergeant Kimmel and October 9th, Staff Sergeant Harper. In August 2005, Sergeant First Class Walden. July 2005, Private Johnson. In 2004, Staff Sergeant Holliman in August and Captain Tovansky in August. In July, Staff Sergeant Martis in June, Major Severson III. In April, Sergeant Major Stack. In January, Chief Warrant Officer Blaze. In 2003, December, same day, Staff Sergeant Burdick and Private First Class Petty. Private First Class White and Private First Class Hutchison also paid the ultimate sacrifice in December 2003. In November of 2003, Sergeant Rico, Specialist Ravago, Command Sergeant Major Wilson, Private First Class Witter, Captain P., Private First Class Hoffer, Specialist Dio, Dio Giovanni, Private First Class Hellman, Chief Warrant Officer Sabo, <clears throat> Sergeant Russell, Second Lieutenant Wolf, Specialist Sullivan, Chief Warrant Officer Kesterson, Private First Class Hawk Eagle, Specialist Ull, Spe Sergeant Hansen, Specialist Dunsbury, Specialist Baker, Sergeant Akelin. All those warriors died on the very same day. <clears throat> the rest of the month, Staff Sergeant Kennan, Captain Smith, Sergeant Rose, Staff Sergeant Neff, Chief Warrant Officer Kennedy, Specialist Johnson, and First Lieutenant Hurley all paid the ultimate sacrifice in November 2003. In October 2003, Sergeant Hancock, Corporal Grilly, Staff Sergeant Bellavia, Lieutenant Colonel Orlando. In September 2003, Specialist Storino, Specialist Peterson, Master Sergeant Moorhead, Sergeant First Class Bennett. In August 2003, Private First Class Parker, Sergeant Simmons, Specialist Latifuga. In July 2003, Private First Class Heiter, Staff Sergeant Perez, Corporal Ashcraft, Sergeant Christensen, Sergeant Garvey, Sergeant Jordan, Private McKinney, Staff Sergeant Stanford. In June 2003, Private First Class Oberleitner. In May 2003, Sergeant Nutt. In April 2003, Sergeant Troy David Jenkins. A true American hero who gave his life for his squad. And I'm wearing his KIA band today. Private First Class Brown, Specialist Foley, died on the same day, April 14, 2003. On April 13, 2003, Specialist Mercado. And in March 2003, Specialist Rowe, and the first casualty for the 101st in the War on Terror, on March 23, 2003, 
Captain Christopher Scott Seifert. All of them gave their all. See you on the LZ. And uh, <clears throat> it's unbelievable if you think about it, just one base, um, the third highest in the country, um, which is uh, sad. So uh, moving into our show, as we have not done a podcast since uh, Wednesday, there was, of course, the Montana representative, Gia Forty, body slammed a reporter. The funny thing is... Um, he won still. What does it say about Democrats? Seriously. And it's hard to segue into politics, but um, it is a political show. And I contemplated just putting out a Memorial Day tribute, and then that was it. But um, decided to do a more subdued political version. And that just kind of hit me this week. The fake Spicer account, of course, said something about him being part of the House ass-kicking conference, and social justice warriors went crazy and totally unhinged, so bad that I couldn't even read it on the show. It was a fake account, folks. You really need to research. And I, I think the theme of this show across the board is research. People just don't research how a soundbite i'm going to play as we phase into our first segment it's obama and trump side by side talking about terrorism and by no reason do i want to politicize the dead but i do want to accentuate that we have paid a big sacrifice the military the demographic that progressives and the resistance don't care about have been in perpetual war since 2001. And that was led by two different presidents. But when you don't take it serious, you stay in perpetual war. And I think it's a glaring example of how he doesn't take it serious. So I will play it as we segue out of this segment. Have to dog USAA. Um, the Hannity thing... Now, once again, on the show, I've talked about it. I I think there's something to the Seth Rich story. I don't think it's fake news. Um, A guy died, and he was a DNC staffer. And there is proof that he had contact with WikiLeaks that got out. And, you know, at the end of the day, there's something there, but nobody wants to cover it. 
because they want to stay on Russia, Russia, Russia. So USAA buckled to the SJW freaks on the internet who aren't even members, and they pulled their advertisement. And I'm for that. I, I, I you know, once again, you're, you'll hear it because I'm about to read what I sent them because I am a USAA member. But the problem was they said that we don't do a opinion shows, and that very night they were on Hardball and Rachel Maddow. Now, subsequently, they pulled from all networks that are opinionated. Thank God. But prior to it, I sent him this letter as I did a boycott. And I was getting ready to pull everything. I'd already researched insurance. I had researched banks. The only sticking point I had was the loans I had with them. But I could refinance that with my new bank. And it was just going to be the house loan was probably going to stay there. I am a happy USAA member and have moved all my banking and most of my loans to your institution. Since joining, I've been really pleased and have had no complaints till now. I'm a veteran, of course, and politically stay middle of the road due to that service. I know to those that are progressives on the show, I don't sound like it, but really I am. Um, I always saw USAA as the same as they provide service for veterans. Then I see your advertising during one of the most vitriolic liberal commentators on the air on a network who hates vets and anyone who isn't far left on the political scale. I know at the age of the current president, she has sparked droves of people who hate him to her time slot. So I understand maybe it seemed to be a smart business move, but in fact, it alienates quite a few vets. I found this out from vets who sent it to me. I didn't get it from anyplace else. It was vets that were pushing it on Facebook. Fact is, you would not advertise on Rush Limbaugh, nor would you advertise on any other firebrand conservative, which makes me question, do you support the president or do you support only presidents who are popular? There are many things I did not like about the last president, yet he was the president and I supported him. It seems USAA doesn't have the patriotism you profess, for I have more than once watched Maddow's show, and in my opinion, she hates America, has never supported the wars we fought, and only does disparaging pieces about the military. I'm deeply upset about this and I'm worried that the company I praise to so many people is playing politics and that their beliefs are not my beliefs, for this is a direct example of partisan support for people who do not support the current president. I will honestly say if you continue this type of advertisement and progressive cause networks who hate who I am, what me and my family believe, and in the end hate vets, I will move my business elsewhere. Shame on you, USAA. I am so disappointed in this when kindly request a response to which, to why you advertise on a show who doesn't support vets. Subsequently called them and told them they shouldn't be on either show. And that's what they ended up doing. So I think the positive in this is that finally conservatives pushed back and they won one of these boycott wars. I think businesses need to really check themselves. If you're just going to be with the resistance, you're going to lose business. I'm telling you. To the tweets of the day, Wyoming, Minnesota police, to protect yourself from your poor decision making, probably, was a reply to a guy from KC. Is this a police state? Man, who would have thought you would force me to put on a seatbelt in my own car? More like a revenue generator. 
He kept messing with them. So finally they said, if you feel comfortable enough to tweet us and speak your mind about police states, then you're not in a police state, which I thought was perfect. Perfect. Good for you. That's the second time we've covered them. Those guys are just very smart ass and I just love it. British pop star Lily Allen said that women, that when it comes to sexism and fear of women, Islamists are the worst than any, are worse than anybody else. Let me get that read out, right? Islamists don't hate women more or less than anyone else. Fear of women is inherent everywhere. That was the left's response to that. Because she broke code. You can't do that. Sally Cohn put one out there that's just, Shows the lack, the lack of knowing oneself on the left. Other than MLK bus, can anyone point to one example of reporting Trump administration in New York Times or WAPO that has been proven inaccurate? Right after it, Colbert trashes callous Trump budget. I believe children should go to the doctor and eat. And then right after it, he does the same thing over Obamacare. So somebody tweeted that to him. But the reality is there's billions. I could go on all day of all the fake stories. And we will in a second. Because it's come up a lot lately. The left is trying to push that there is no fake stories. Axios is our tweet of the day though. Hillary Friend said she's seething with rage and haunted by losing to someone who she considers a dumb, soulless manipulator. She's okay. How about you? HRC interviews of New York Mag. Hillary Clinton is furious and resigned and funny and worried. The surreal post-election life by Rebecca Trester. Almost everywhere Clinton goes, it seems someone starts crying at restaurants and grocery stores, on planes and in the woods. There are, oh, sorry, had a page, page jump. Lines of people wanting selfies, hugs, comfort. I had people literally seeking absolution. I'm sorry I didn't vote. I didn't think you needed me. I don't know how we'll ever calculate how many people thought it was in the bag because the percentage kept being thrown at people. I never bought any of that, but lots of people did. Clinton knows that she had, that had she won, she would have governed in a time of deep anti-feminist backlash. You know what? I would have loved to have that as a problem. Look, I know what's out there. I've lived it. Part of what my opponent did, which was brilliant, was blow the top off. You can say whatever you want about anybody else, and I'll tell you who to be against. I'll tell you who should be resentful of. The stories her campaign tried to sell, she says, were boring in comparison to the energy behind malicious nostalgia. Tracer asks if she ever been to therapy, and she shakes her head. Uh-huh. No, I have not. Well, we have some marital counseling in the late 90s around our very difficult time, but that's all. That's how, that's not how I roll. I'm all for it for anybody who's at all interested in it. It's just not how I deal with stuff. Even in her answers, she answers both ways. Without saying his name, Hillary goes after Trump at Wellesley commencement. When people in power invent their own facts and attack those who question them, it can mark the beginning of the end of a free society. You are graduating a time when there is a full-fledged assault on truth and reason. And the reason why I put it in our tweet of the day block, she's going through the stage of grief, and she, she just hasn't got out of anger. I could read about 90 articles on here just this week alone. On Hillary Clinton lashing out at the machine that beat her. 
And that makes me happy. Hey, tweet of the day! I know it's mean to relish in her pain, but I hate that woman. And as a vet, I would tell you, I am so glad she's not the president, because we just go down the same fucking road of coddling terrorists and more bodies would come home with flags on them. Today's outrage of the day is that President Trump revealed the location of two nuclear submarines, leads off our hate tweets. Reuters, Trump tells Duterte of two U.S. nuclear subs. Ben Smith, today's what the fuck. Here's the problem. Sorry, this is a non-story. Navy has already revealed USS Michigan at Busan. Vincent Stripe Group has its own. This came from a four-star admiral who's no Trump fan. Thank you very much. What leads us in to the hate in the Sally Cohn tweet. Just since January, here's some fake news. January 22nd, the Trump-Comey bromance. February 17th, the mobilization of the National Guard. 25th, Kuwait paid a play at Trump Hotel. April 11th, Sessions filth scandal. May 1st, ghost of billboard past. May 3rd, the DOG, DOJ prosecutes a woman for laughing. May 4th, the non-existent beer party and rape is a pre-existing condition. And the football analogy fiasco. It was a banner day for the resistance. All of it wrong. May 10th, the fake Rosenthal resignation. And the same day, Comey Russia probe resource request. And May 20th, the Ivanka charity insanity. Coupled by May 20-something, I think it was the 27th, Jennifer Jacobs, Trump was indeed listening to foreign leaders via translation earpiece. They tried to say he wasn't listening to the foreign leaders. They're just throwing anything up that they see that can stick. And when they don't understand, they're sticking to themselves. All they're doing is pissing people off. I did an informal survey this week. I don't know anybody who's watching the news anymore. It's that bad. When they keep talking about these ratings or going up for MSDNC, nobody's watching other than the resistance. Everybody's done with it. They're just so, they're so over it. It's hard for me to even do a podcast right now. I don't even want to do this section. I used to look forward to this section. It's just repeating. I know it's boring. Hell, the other day I listened to it. I fast forward past it. So I'm actually thinking about omitting it next podcast. I promise. I won't do this section. I'll do some subjects. I can't do it. Because right after that, Blue Cross left Obamacare. Guess what? A direct result of Donald Trump's sabotage, a reporter said. That's what starting with the moment Obamacare became fruition. Insurance companies are pulling out. So Schumer turned his focus to expressing concern about carbon emissions. Climate change plus puts Americans' health, safety, and livelihoods risk. Paris Agreement. That is a huge meme with a little baby getting a freaking um, albuterol uh, treatment. We can't let President Barack Obama's global effort to be reduced carbon pollution with the Paris Agreement being undone in one fell swoop. Everybody responded to him. Gosh. He probably should have included Congress then. And that's the problem with the Obama administration. This shit was so fucking important. Dems had enough people. Why don't you push a bill through or a, a, a you know, a, a ratifying these agreements? You didn't. Because you know the American people at all aren't for it. Who's going to sign up to pay twice on their electricity bill? 
Nobody. NBC News got hate at him. First black blatcherette shines in debut, but is America ready for interracial love? The whole world attacked him. When weren't we ready? That's like so 1980. And if you really cared about it, you wouldn't be running transgender shit every 2.3 seconds. New Republic, the Democratic Party needs to be uh, elevating its younger rising stars. Hillary Clinton should get out of the way. That was attacked by the entire world. They still want to cling to Hillary. There, there's talk that her and Biden are thinking about running in 2020. That's the best the DNC has. That's fucking scary. Planned Parenthood's back in our hate section. Executive jokes about decapitating fetus in new video. Planned Parenthood executive joke about decapitating fetuses admitting to altering abortion procedures to preserve fetal organs and said clinics have a financial incentive to sell human tissue. The three-minute video was recorded at an annual National Abortion Federation meeting by pro-life investigator Center for Medical Products. Progress. The advocacy group said it's just a preview of never-before-seen content that's been sealed for almost two years due to censoring by progressive judges. Deborah Nakatola, a senior director of medical services, Planned Parenthood Federation of America, admits to altering abortion procedures to preserve fetal organs. You know, sometimes she'll tell me she wants brains and will, you know, leave the calvarchium to last and then try to basically take it out or actually, you know, catch everything and even keep it separate from the rest of the tissue so it doesn't get lost. Also, Deb Van Burhill, National Director of Planned Parenthood's Consortium of Abortion Providers, admits that some clinics are motivated to sell fetal tissue for profit. But the truth is that some might want to do it for to increase their revenue. And we can't stop them, she says in the video. You fucking people disgust me. Just disgust me. Because the problem is, they're not asking for it. They're just doing it. If a woman goes in there and she wants to abort her baby and give it for fetal tissue, I have no fucking problem with it. But no woman's going to do that. They got enough hang-ups about it. In Oregon, two heroes were killed this week trying to defend a woman in a a job. Two killed in stabbing. The two men were killed trying to intervene as a man yelled racial slurs at two young women who appeared to be Muslim, including one wearing a job. The left, including Jill Stein, another heartbreaking tragedy in Trump's America, as a white nationalist shouting anti-Islam slurs murders two on a Portland, Oregon subway. Here's the problem. BuzzFeed, for the first time, did some real news. He was a Bernie supporter. He wasn't a Trump supporter, and that's why you're not seeing it in the news. The moment it broke, it fell off your news. It's no longer a news that two guys, heroes, stepped forward and did the right thing and were killed for it by a Democrat. I, I, I have the hardest time where I was going to... This is such a hypocritical moment. This would lead NBC Nightly News. If that guy had a Trump bumper sticker on his car or his bike or his fucking notebook. To another Portland story. Portland burrito shop forced to close amid accusation of cultural appropriation. Stealing recipes. 
Just one week after Kook's Burrito in Portland, Oregon was featured in a profile for local publication, Willamette Week, which used to be a, just a shitty little local paper, the pop-up Mexican food cart was closed down. Amid accusations, they ripped off recipes. Callie Wigilis and Liz Elsie Conley, the two white women who started Kooks earlier this year, have been accused of stealing their techniques from the tortilla ladies of Puerto Novo, Mexico. They went down and learned how to do it right, and they got put out of business for it. I put it on my Facebook. Not a single Oregon person would say anything. Though the eatery has been open for several months, the owner of Kooks were only recently accused of cultural appropriation by the Portland Mercury and Mike.com based on Conley's revelations. Because of Portland's underlying racism, the people who rightly own these traditions and cultures that exist are already treated poorly, the Portland Mercury said, calling the closure of Kooks a victory. The article continues, these appropriating businesses are racing and exploiting their already marginalized identities for the purpose of profit and praise. Here's a news flash. SJWs, Sierra Juliet whiskeys. In the South, Mexicans make Chinese food and Chinese make Mexican food. We don't give a fuck. If the food's good, who gives a shit? Because when you break it down, there's no American food, folks. We're a melting pot. It used to be what was great about us. We would embrace other cultures. Now, if you embrace another culture, you're culturally appropriating. It makes me want to pull out that show I did on all this crazy shit from Rutgers. You fucking people really have some issues. Alyssa Milano, people think I'm anti-Trump because I'm a liberal Democrat. That's just not true. I'm anti-Trump because I'm a compassionate human. The world attacked her. And they deserve it. To the hypocrisy of the day. Pregnant teen disciplined by school tells CBS, I made the right choice. It's a radical move, move for the media that positive spin abortion, but, but that isn't stopping CBS. The network just covered a story of a pregnant teenager who refused abortion for a baby boy, no matter the cost. On Wednesday, CBS this morning reported the story of a high school senior, Maddie Runkles. Although Runkles boasts a 4.0 average and even served as a student council president, she was banned from walking at graduation by Heritage Academy, a private Christian school in Maryland. That's because Runkles discovered she was pregnant. While she considered abortion, she said she did the right thing to keep her baby boy. Wow. Hard to believe it made normal news. Zucker, CNN held to different standard. People come to us for facts. Not reading the article. I can just say that right there. That sums it up. Facts. Okay. Start reporting some facts over on CNN. Maybe I'll watch you. Joe Scarborough. Republicans have embraced the coarsening of political culture where the truth means absolutely nothing. He actually said that. Joe, you need to stop putting your penis in Mika. Oh. Oh. That just sums it all up. How, how, how do these people actually say this shit? How? How, how? How can you say that? Yes, Trump said some core shit. 
But what's being done every day on our streets and our media and our newspapers about Trump and more importantly about people who support him, that takes the case, the cake. It just takes the cake, my friends. Out of control. So that's our abbreviated front lead-in. We're going to go American Soldier now is our bump music. Going to bump out. With that soundbite I was talking about, because it's a perfect example of the war on terror and why hopefully we'll get to killing ISIS quicker if Trump lives up to his rhetoric. And we're going to go into something that has just annoyed the living shit out of me. Fidget spinners. Although it's still early in the investigation, we know enough to say that this was an act of terror and an act of hate. So many young, beautiful, innocent people living and enjoying their lives murdered by evil losers in life. We are still learning all the facts. This is an open investigation. We've reached no definitive judgment on the precise motivations of the killer. I won't call them monsters because they would like that term. They would think that's a great name. I've directed that we must spare no effort to determine what, if any, inspiration or association this killer may have had with terrorist groups. What is clear is that he was a person filled with hatred. I will call them, from now on, losers, because that's what they are. They're losers. And we'll have more of them. But they're losers. Just remember that. Just trying to be a father, raise a daughter and a son, be a lover to their mother, everything to everyone. Up and that on bright and early, I'm all business in my suit. Yeah, I'm dressed up for success, from my head down to my boots. I don't do it for the money, there's bills that I can't pay. I don't do it for the glory, I just do it anyway. Providing for our futures, my responsibility. Yeah, I'm real good under pressure, being all that I can be. I can't call in sick on Mondays when the weekend's been too strong. I just work straight through the holidays, sometimes all night long. You can bet that I stand ready When the wolf growls at the door Hey, I'm solid, hey, I'm steady Hey, I'm true down to the core And I will always do my duty No matter what the price I've counted up the cost I know the sacrifice Oh, and I don't want to die for you But if dying's asking me with honor cause freedom don't come free I'm an American soldier an American the 
proudly take a stand When liberty's in jeopardy I'll always do what's right I'm out here on the front lines Sleep in peace tonight American soldier Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Okay, so yeah, this is going to be another fidget spinners video because I'm obsessed with these things. I literally have sore hands and fingers from spinning these things all the time. I know they're a craze, but I absolutely love them. They are perfect for me. So what I thought we'd do today is explore the world's weirdest fidget spinners because these are the normal ones we've also gone through some other crazy ones like uh, this one this one and so on and so forth but today i have found the craziest the weirdest and the most different fidget spinners that i could find so um let's have a look at them today as you can see there are um yeah a lot of packages here i don't even know which ones to start with so let's just unbox these all and, and start since we've got so many i didn't realize i ordered 12 but these are all really weird and wonderful we're gonna start with this one and i'm not gonna take up too much time. There we go. First fidget spinner is a two-pronged one with ball bearings around the side. Take a look. It's very similar to this other Delta one that we had before, but it's only two-pronged. It's a little bit heavier and, yeah, has the ball bearings just in the two wings on the side. Let's spin it and see what happens. Huh. Fidget spinners are the devil. Can't release where I work, but I've noticed this huge trend 
of adults and children, equal of both, running around these stupid things that are called fidget spinners. So I wanted to do a quick segment about how stupid this is and how fads in general are just really stupid. So here's five fast facts you need to know about fidget spinner. The inventor of fidget spinner isn't making any money from her invention. She kind of patented it, but then didn't renew it, so she screwed. Two, uh, let me see. Uh, people doing fidget spinners have millions of views. I was going to play a video, but I won't. I'll just kind of play them in a chunk. Experts have recently said spinners do not help with ADHD and autism. Some schools have banned fidget spinners. Um, here's five reason from lemonlimeadventures.com. One, kids are just using fidget spinners as toys. Two, fidget spinners are distracting the classroom. Three, fit, not all kids need fidget spinners. Four, there's no real evidence that it helps with autism or ADHD. And fidget spinners shouldn't even be needed. Which I tend to, uh, agree with. And five, there are several reports of fidget spinners Related injuries. CNN reported a boy from Australia who seriously injured his eye playing a fidget spinner. The boy was showing tricks to his friends. He threw the spinner up higher in the air and it hit him in the eye. Because as they said on A Christmas Story, you'll shoot your eye out. Well, you'll fidget spin your eye out. I was actually going to make a soundbite about that, but I didn't. Chicago Tribune had an article. Are fidget spinners a threat to America? Yes. Yes, they are. It's time to talk about the latest threat to America. Fidget spinners. If you don't know what a fidget spinner is, you have likely spent the last month in a cave 500 miles from the nearest child. Congratulations. I hope you enjoyed yourself as those may be the final moments of peace you'll ever experience. That's because fidget spinners are now everywhere. They're in the hands of children riding CTA trains with their parents. They are in the classroom and in the homes across America. They're even being spun by some adults in meetings and at bus stops. For the few unfamiliar with these devices, they're simple. A palm-sized two- or three-prong gadget with circular bearings in the middle and circular weights on each end of the prongs. The casing is usually plastic, sometimes metal. All you do is pinch the circular bearing between the thumb and forefinger and give the prongs a spin. And then it spins and spins and spins and spins. And the fun, and it's fun, apparently. You can balance it on a finger. You can toss it from one hand to the other. But most of all, you can fidget with it. Which is the point. The argument in favor of these nefarious devices, and don't worry, I'll get to the nefariousness soon, is they help kids focus by relieving their need to fidget. Some parents of children with autism and ADHD or anxiety say that spinners are helpful. Experts seem mixed on the views. But there's one thing children don't care about is what parents or experts think. They see the schoolmates spinning a brightly colored plastic thingy, and then know nothing is more important than getting their hands on one of those brightly colored plastic spinny thingies. And therein lies a problem with fidget spinners. As a parent, I can testify that the gadget helps my child focus, but that focus solely on spinning, collecting, discussing, and dropping finished spinners and breaking them. He talks about fidget spinners. He spins fidget spinners. He breaks fidget spinners and then feels tragically sad about broken fidget spinners. He wants to obtain more fidget spinners because there's always another spinner better than the 73 he keeps in his pocket. He asked that we watch him do a fidget spinner trick, and then he fails at that trick because it's physically impossible. Then he asked for my newly upgraded smartphone so he can watch another instructional video 
for physically impossible fidget spinner trips, or which there are 19 million. At school, every child has a fidget spinner, and the entire building hums like a giant white noise machine. Some schools across the country, including one in Evanston, has banned the gadget, presumably out of fear that all the children were to simultaneously spin their spinners in the same direction would form a vortex that could wipe out half the city. The spinner costs about five and up into the hundreds of dollars, depending on how insane you are. The lead-in is actually a British adult, and he had ordered, I don't know, what did he say, like 30? He's fucking adult. What the hell? I'm confident the American economy is now at least 40% fidget spinner based, and it may yet grow. I don't know who planned these devious devices in our country, but it was clearly a malicious act intended to distract us from some more important issues, like the latest version of smartphones in foreign countries itching to evade America. Many fidget spinners are manufactured in China. I know this because my extremely focused son recently bought a pack of 10 spinners from China's distributor. I wish I was making that up. So I suspect China is behind this so-called fad. At the rate things are going, the Chinese military could overrun the West Coast and our children would do would be too distracted with their fidget spinners to notice anything, and we adults would be too distracted by our annoyance with fidget spinners to care. There have been times lately amid the incessant whir of spinners and the occasionally yelp of a sleeping dog struck by drop spinner when a Chinese invasion would have been downright refreshing. So I think it's time, in the interest of American future, that we eradicate the spinner's menace. I'm going to get on that as soon as I run out and buy the latest smartphone. I just saw a guy with one that has slightly larger screen than mine. <laughs> That's actually pretty funny. I think these things are the dumbest things ever. But this is who we are as a country. We are faddish. And then there's people like me who refuse to do fads. Even though, as I'm about to read, some people say I'm doing a fad. Which is probably true. To an extent. So I looked up. Stupid things that we probably won't be doing in 20 years. Spirit hoods. Yeah, unless you're a, a pink model for Victoria's Secret, you shouldn't be wearing a spirit hood. Social media games. Sweet Lord Jesus. If I get another Farmville, Dumbville, Crimeville. Some of you people don't even talk to me on Facebook. I don't even think you know me. Because if you did, I just sounded like somebody on Springer. You don't know me! You wouldn't send me a game. I don't play games. Home-brewed beer. Artisan condiments. I saw this the other day. Like $80 for a bottle of mustard. Yeah, whatever. Tough mutter. Which I really wanted to do till I broke my back. Bar trivia. High-res computer screens. You know... I didn't fall into that, but I did buy my laptop because it's supposed to have a better screen. And, and the, the dumbest thing about it, you never watch it. If I'm going to watch a movie, I have a 65-inch TV. Why the fuck wouldn't I watch it on that and on my 13-inch screen? Rebooted comic book movies. Sweet God, somebody stopped us. I don't even know how half these damn characters are. Pixie Dream Girl movies. Gourmet fast food burgers. They got a point there. Everyone wants to come up with a pretzel bun bullshit. Nobody ate pretzel buns. And Asiago cheese. I joined that with it. None of us ate Asiago cheese. You didn't go to a fucking grocery store and buy Asiago cheese. But now all of a sudden, Asiago cheese is on everything. Same tech, but smaller. I think that's over. I'm going bigger. 
I never bought a small phone. I can't read the freaking thing. NFL hand-wringing over violence. People under 40 writing memoirs. And the last one they had... Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, man, I am having computer problems today. It keeps flipping. Dressing like a 1920 drifter. 90s and 80 themed parties, which I think will never go out. Huck Finn hats. Instagram, which I can't stand. Anonymous online comments. Everyone having a podcast. That was what there was that I thought was true. I guess I do have a podcast. There's a lot of... I actually looked the other day at podcasts. No wonder why nobody listens to my podcast. There's a billion podcasts. Memes, live tweeting TV shows, green big corporations, which is I think it's the dumbest thing ever. We're green. Do you notice how they just... Everybody went green and we had green commercials and we used 25% recycled paper in our company and they thought that was important and you're going to go to them because they were doing that? Only works in the big cities, folks. Unpaid interns who fuck up Twitter accounts. Internet paywalls. Well, you get so many free, then they stop. And I would really like that to stop. New York Times and WAPO. I just go to other sources that are free. I ignore you. Because there's all sorts of sources that use your shit, and they just talk about it, and that's how I get my article. I don't pay you. Because all I'm doing is paying people that want to get Trump fucking impeached. He hasn't done anything to be impeached yet. So there's my quick hit on fidget spinners. I think they're freaking stupid. And I joined the Chicago Tribune that they are the end of the world. So if you have a kid, and I, I have grandkids, I don't get to see them anymore, but I would never buy them a fidget spinner. If they got something to fidget, get them outside. Make them play in the goddamn woods. To our next segment, which is not safe for work. Well, baby. Me so horny. Me so horny. You keep lying. Me love you a long time. Fifteen dollars? Fifteen dollars for both of us. No, it's you fifteen dollars. Me love you long time. Me so horny. Fifteen dollars to buku. Five dollars each. Me sucky sucky. Me love you too much. Five dollars is all my mom allows me to spend. Okay, $10 each. What do we get for $10? Everything you want. Everything. Everything. Before I lead into this one, I had a bunch of videos for that last segment, but I didn't play them because you got the point. Those things are stupid, and they're going to go away. They're just going to go away. And to the lead-in, that movie still haunts me to this day. Uh, That's, of course, from Full Metal Jacket. And I know I just did some stuff on pornography, but this kind of blew me away. Um, I I just, and I don't know how I I didn't find this when I did the segment on it, because if I had a more organized show, I probably would have, and it would have been really good to have this info while I was recording it. But I, I, I never found it. And so I'm searching for something this week and out of the blue, here comes these infographs from colleges that blew my ever loving mind. Um, I, I just didn't expect this, these numbers. 
All right. So, um, they have basically five different um, stats, and it's and once again, it's hard to read because they're infographics. Okay, there we go. I got it so I can at least uh, read it. One, 12% of the websites on the internet are pornographic. 12%. Every second... $3,075.64 is being spent on porno and 28,258 people are viewing porn. Number three, 40 million Americans are regular visited visitors to porn sites. One in three porn viewers are women. 70% of men aged 18 to 24 visit porn sites. In the U.S., internet porn pulls in $2.84 billion per year. The entire worldwide industry is worth $4.9 billion. So we are over half, which is pretty scary if you think about it. Number five, 2.5 billion emails per day are pornographic. That's 8% of all emails. 25% of all search engine requests are porno related. 68 million a day. 35% of all internet download are porno, which surprised me. I thought it'd be more than that. The top pornographic search terms are sex, adult dating, and porn. Just sex is 75%. Utah has a nation's highest online subscription rate per thousand home broadband users, 5.47%. Number 10, 34% of internet users have experienced unwanted exposure to porn either through pop-up ads, misdirected links, or emails. That's a true statement. It's happened to work a lot. There are 116,000 searches for child porno every day, which is just freaking sick. The average age of which a child first sees porn online is 11. 20% of men admit to watching porn on work. 14, the least popular day of the year for porn is Thanksgiving, and the highest use of porn is on Sundays. That's kind of sick. That's, like, really kind of sick. Another one reaffirms that 30% are women watching porn. The average spent on a porn site is 12 minutes. The average viewer... Visits a porn site 7.5 times per month. Estimated unique monthly visitors in millions. Netflix, 46 million. Amazon, 110. Twitter, 160. YouTube, 800 million. The second most porn sites, 450 million. Only 25% of women are consistently orgasmic during vaginal ing intercourse. 
Consequently, porn is a helpful tool for women to set the mood when using a vibrator, which is one sexual activity that actually delivers most women's orgasms. That is from a doctor that tells people to do it. Two-thirds of HR professionals have found porn on employees' work computers. Hulu is dwarfed by YouPorn. 30% of all data transferred across the internet is porn. Six-time larger bandwidth is coming from YouPorn than from Hulu. That's another infographic. To some more stats that shocked me. Men admitted to accessing porn at work 20% of the time. U.S. adults who regularly visit internet pornographic websites, 40 million. Christians who said pornography is a major problem in the home, 47%. Adults admitting to internet internet sexual addiction, 10 A doctor said men using porn has become so normal that it's almost fashionable to come out and say and admit to using porn, but a growing number of women are engaging in the use of pornography. 13% of women admit to accessing porn at work. 70% of women keep their cyber activities secret. 70% of all women struggle with porn addiction. And with that site, there were two videos that we'll play in a second. Women favor chat rooms two times more than men, and one in three visitors to all adult website are women. Sixth reason girls get addicted to porn and what parents can do about it. As a Christian parent, you should shudder to think that your daughter having anything to do with pornography or sexual activity of any kind for that matter, but it is often this wishful thinking that prevents parents from having honest conversations. So they say, one, one of the reasons curiosity about sex. Sex is the forbidden fruit. Girls are naturally curious about it, no matter how young, sweet, or innocent they may be. And there's nothing wrong with the curiosity. Two, how to, gu- how to guide for girls who are sexually active or want to be. Porno can be a learning as an instruction manual. Three, wanting acceptance. Girl get into sexting, for example. Because it often garners a positive response from boys, and many are craving this feeling of acceptance. So they learn how to talk from porn, they say. They fall into a trap. No one starts out with the intention of becoming an addict. Perhaps it's curiosity that prompts a girl to visit a site, then intriguing, and then maybe even a rewarding sense of thrill. If masturbation is involved, the activity triggers powerful chemical rewards. Five, peer pressure. Girls face pressure to be sexual at a young age, so porn is their tool. Six, they don't understand purity or God's ideal for sex. And the rest goes into religious dogma that I won't play. And that was the point that surprised me. It seems now researchers are more concerned with women and young girl, which kind of leads in, you know, ties into our last segment on this, which was a news and social media article about a porn star who was talking about how he worried about young kids, especially girls, seeing it. So here are two videos they had attached to this. 
and they'll identify who they are so I don't have to lead them in. Uh, but before I before I get started, I want to kind of uh, show up another or first slide up here. Who uses porn? A lot of people use porn. It is a multi-billion-dollar industry, and uh, some time back, it was uh, uh, suggested that more people. Or so many people are using porn today that uh, the porn industry makes more money than all professional sports combined. That's a lot of money. But the reason I have this first slide is, first of all, to kind of, for lack of a better term, sort of normalize the fact that so many people are using porn. I'm not advocating that you use porn. In fact, I hope by the time we get through with this, uh, you'll understand that using porn can be extremely dangerous for you as an individual and for you in a relationship. But this slide indicates that it is not just a guy problem. It's also a girl problem. Um, I was sharing with another faculty member that guys using pornography has become so normal that it's almost fashionable to come out and say, yeah, I use porn, it's no big deal, blah, blah, blah. But a growing number of women are now engaging in the use of pornography. It may not be pictorial, it may not be in a video, or what we would strictly define as pornographic, but a growing number of women are using what we call erotica. Okay? Chat rooms, as you can see there on the, uh, the slide. And the difference between pornography and erotica really has to do with who your affection is going toward. Pornography generally has to do with objectification, whereas erotica has to do with a relational connection. Um, I came across one particular case in my research where a woman spent eight hours a day, seven days a week, engaged in chat rooms, um, use of, of erotic pornography to the point where she lost her job, she lost her husband, she lost her kids, and ultimately she stopped eating and became anorexic because her craving and her desire for erotica was so intense that it eclipsed everything else in her life. So I want to go ahead and make and establish that point because I don't want the guys to be sitting here and thinking, oh boy, here we go again, let's beat up on the guys, okay? This is a people problem. It affects everyone. In 1964, Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart said this about hardcore porn. I know it when I see it. Nowadays, it's estimated that one in three adult film viewers is a woman. So can the same be said of feminist porn? The genre has its own actors, directors, and award ceremony, and is considered less and less of an oxymoron. But what exactly is feminist porn, and what is its significance for women and LGBT rights? Joining me now is an editor of the feminist porn book, sex educator Tristan Tormino. Tristan, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So what exactly is feminist porn? Well, I know it when I see it. 
<laughs> no, you might not, actually, but feminist porn is ethically produced pornography that challenges stereotypes about things like gender, sex, race, other identity categories, and really attempts to diversify the images we see in the sexual landscape. Give me an, give me an example of what ethically produced feminist porn would look like that challenges gender roles. Like, would the woman come to the door with the pizza box? Someone order pizza? Yeah, that's usually how porn starts, yeah. right? I, I hear, yeah. But I think that one of the things that happens in a lot of mainstream porn is men are the asserters, they're the aggressors, they're in charge of how things go. And and although everything is focused on the woman, her pleasure isn't necessarily a priority. We don't see a lot of depictions of authentic female desire, pleasure, fantasies, or even real female orgasms. And you do see all of along with women exerting their own sexual power in feminist porn. And they choose to do that. But in your opinion, why is it wrong to say that pornography is inherently anti-feminist? Because I think we can't lump all pornography into a category. It's sort of like saying all television is bad. Is there some bad TV? Of course. So and is, is there some groundbreaking porn? TV? What is good porn in your mind? Well, I, I don't want to put a value judgment on it because I want people to watch whatever kind of porn they want. But for me, my process of making porn has to be ethical. It has to be fair. And it's really important that the actors, the performers, really participate in creating this imagery. They aren't just robots kind of acting out a script. They they actually are part of the process. Well, I should have asked it's, Mark it's, that question then. I mean, what is good porn in your opinion? You know, it's interesting. <laughs> um, you know, actually, I don't watch porn. Huh. I, I, no, I believe you. You sound it, very sincere. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not a porn watcher, but but I guess my concern. Well, I could be. I mean, apparently, one in three. One in three, I was like, women actually yeah. watch a lot of porn. One in three women watch porn. So is it is it you? Is it Alicia? I mean, is it Nancy Red? Which one? I keep my private life private, Mark. Okay, you're just saying. She's <laughs> asked me if I watch porn. Look, no, here, here, here's the thing. Here's my concern. I agree that we could reimagine pornography in a way that empowers women, that represents female desire, uh, female interest, that has females taking assertive roles. I get that. My concern, though, is that is that the gaze that's attached to porn wouldn't change, G-A-Z-E gaze, so that uh, even though the, the narrative is different, people are still objectifying female bodies as they watch it. So the same guy's watching female porn, and he's not caring about whether the woman's having an orgasm or not. All he cares about is the fact that there's a naked woman there. Well, I think that all porn... It is basically sexually explicit material. So we can't change that. And I don't want to change that. I want there to be a medium where we can see people interact with each other sexually. And just because people are naked and we're pointing a camera at them doesn't mean that they're automatically being demeaned or debased. I think that that's an old concept that it's automatically bad to objectify and and it's all objectification is demeaning i mean again i think that when the people participate in making the product obviously when people watch it they're going to have a lot of different reactions some people will just get off 
Other people may see themselves on screen, may resonate with something. Maybe someone uses porn as a way to talk about sex with their partner. So people are going to use it in all different kinds of ways. I, I can't control that. But I can control putting out images and making productions that are fair and ethical and have feminist principles. This idea, though, that, that women are just kind of slaves to men when we talk about porn. Yeah. But, you know, you could also maybe say that you can play the men's role the same way, right? No. I, the men are naked, too, and they're part of this as well. No, absolutely. It's just in traditional porn, uh, from what I've read. Uh, women are simply the subjects of male desire, right? I mean, that's all it's about. And, right. and it ends when men have an orgasm, not when women do. Absolutely. So, I mean, Tristan, talk to me a little bit about this idea of feminist porn stars and agency, because that seems like the most important part of this conversation. Yeah, I think it is because one of the ways that we can start depicting more authentic images of sex and more diverse images of sex is by not following some of these tired formulas of what sex looks like, how intercourse is kind of the goal, and like you said, how the male orgasm is the culmination of all scenes. You see a lot of diversity in terms of what people are doing, how they're doing it, and how they're experiencing pleasure in feminist porn. Why, why porn at all, though? I mean, and I'm, I'm not being, like, prudish at all. I'm, I have no, I, I don't feel strongly one way or the other. But why does porn become your sort of artistic uh, lens? Why does, why does it become the mechanism that you use to, to deal with sexuality, to deal with identity, or just to tell a, a story? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Because I think that we see porn as this kind of throwaway, trashy part of pop culture. But truthfully, it's a really powerful medium. We know that millions and millions of people are watching porn. So I think it's a medium where feminists need to intervene. We need to be there and we need to be changing the conversation. And what is our role in that? is diverse. I mean, there are feminists who are behind the camera. There are feminists who are performers. There are feminists who are viewers and fans. There are feminist porn critics. I think that we, we come to it from all these different angles, but we change the conversation, which is what I'm trying to do. Well, and feminist porn doesn't just focus on women's pleasure. It also dismantles stereotypes about male sexuality. How does it do that? Yes, this is such an important point because there's been kind of a conflation of feminist porn and porn for women, and they really are two different things. The thing is that, for me, stereotypical porn really does a disservice to everyone. It makes male sexuality one-dimensional and, and really devoid of any kind of depth or diversity. And if we want to shift the discussion about gender roles and gender roles in the bedroom, we need to tackle all gender roles. So we don't make porn just for women or just about women. It's really about gender equality and how we can bring that to this medium. I think that's absolutely true because uh, by exploring new possibilities for what sex can look like, and what uh, sexual identities can look mm -hmm. like, what sex roles can look like, it liberates men too. You know, I, I, again, I really don't watch porn, but as a teenager, I did, and I mm -hmm. remember, you know, that's sort of how I learned. It was a very stereotypical. Yeah, that's, style how, of that's porn. how I learned what sex was supposed to look like.
And that's what I thought men and That's had ingrained to do. in our mind. Yeah, exactly. And so it becomes ingrained in your mind. And so this seems to be, have, just like feminism itself, it has the ability to, to liberate men. I would, I would argue feminist porn probably does too. But one thing that seems to be missing from the conversation uh, about feminist porn oftentimes is the LGBT community. How does this affect uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender uh, people? Well, actually, probably about 60% of the feminist pornographers working today identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or queer, or trans, and make porn by and for LGBT communities. So it's a big part of the conversation. And I think that that piece of it is really important because there are still too many stereotypes about gay and lesbian sexuality. And when queer people make their own porn, they get to tell the stories. They get to tell their truths. Give me a, they get to represent their desires. Can you give me an example? What would be a stereotypical understanding of, uh, of LGBT sex? Or, or better yet, what would be, how, what does, what yeah. do the films offer that challenge right. stereotypical understanding? Right. So, you know, there's this genre called lesbian or girl, girl porn within mainstream pornography that often features women who don't necessarily identify as bisexual yes. or lesbian. They don't even like other women. And that comes out in their performance where they look a little like they're not that into having sex. Right. And they're just kind of doing it as a performance. And so then you see someone like feminist pornographer Courtney Trouble who makes, who makes queer porn and employs queer performers and often real couples. And the dynamic is entirely different. It's not a performance. It's not a male fantasy of lesbians. It's queer people representing themselves in this sexual space. Now, do you, this, this is, this is great. Um, I've learned so much. I've learned a bunch. And if you would like to see more of Tristan's work, uh, and the feminist porn book on, go to puckerup.com. Uh, now we go from porn to politics. As we always do. And who could better to bridge that gap than Zach Carter? He joins us next from Washington, <laughs> D.C. You know, for me, a guy who who talks, I research a lot of the stuff we talk about, but I, I literally um, talk sometimes out my ass. And I just say, porn's everywhere. The Internet is porn. And then you hear these stats, you go, holy shit, you're right. And once again, um, I thought it was in the legal, but it's S-A-G-U dot E-D-C. Segu.edc uh, owns those last two tracks you heard. Um, oh, no, the first track. And the second track was HuffPo, Women Porn 101. Um, <clears throat> I'm not anti-porn. Um, my wife's anti-porn. I'm not anti-porn. I would never profess to be anti-porn. Um, but I do know there's an addiction pr purpose to it. Um, it. It is addicting. And I think what I've tried to hammer more is that we really need to be cognizant of the effects of everything on the internet. Uh, we've talked about it a lot and it seems like it's hypocritical because I do a lot of stuff on the internet and I have Facebook and I have a webpage and yada, yada, yada. I'm, I'm putting a podcast out on the internet. Um, but there, there are things about the internet that kind of are bad. And so I like to touch them and talk about them because I think we all need to think about it. I mean, when you really break it down, um, you need to be in tune with what your family's doing, what your kids are doing, what you're doing. I have started a thing this uh, last two weeks where I leave my computer at work. I'm going to use my computer. 
I, I don't need it at night. I'm not doing anything on it. So why the hell do I bring it home? And sometimes I just, it's just a habit. If I have to look something up, I can use my phone, which does everything my computer does. So I'm, I'm good. But when you break it down, the pornography thing is something that we all should be just kind of looking at, especially if you have kids or family or whatever. And I think it's important to break out. I wish I would have done this with my own child, my son specifically, who we did catch watching porn. Um, it's not real. It's a fantasy. And there's nothing wrong with fantasies. But you have to have the reality of what real sex is to expect what women will do and not do and what's right with women. Because personally, most of what you're going to see on the internet is just horrible. Uh, nobody's going to do that. And I think we need to talk to our kids because it's going to be hard to keep them away from it. When you see the statistics of how much pornography is out there, how many people are using pornography, it's probably something we need to tune into. So I know I'm beating a horse lately because these just keep coming up, but I thought this was really interesting statistics that really backed a lot of the things that we talked about on the show. So I did a segment on it, uh, specific, specifically the women angle going off that um, – James Dean article we talked about two podcasts ago. So we're going to go into a bumper. Uh, Trace Atkins, the last shot is fired. And close out with news. Social media nuggets. I was there in the winter of 64 When we camped in the ice at Nashville's door Three hundred miles our trail had led We barely had time to bury our dead When the Yankees charged and the colors fell Overton Hill was a living hell When we called retreat it was almost dark I died with a grape shot in my heart Say a prayer for peace For every fallen son
Time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Okay, military corner. Not really military, but it covers the same concept. DARPA picks Boeing to build its new space plane. The research agency hopes its XS-1 jumpstarts a whole new industry of very low-cost satellite launches. 
Boeing did such a good job plotting out the commercial future of a reusable satellite launching plane that they're going to get to build it and just maybe launch a whole new low-cost satellite industry. On Thursday, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, or DARPA, announced that Boeing has won the contract for Phase 2 and 3 of the XS-1 space plane. Reusable craft meant to launch 10 satellites in 10 days by 2021 or so. A goal is key to the future of global military satellite communication, and Boeing was very pleased. It's going to be a lot of money, but it made me very, very happy. Um, some more stats. I guess I did want to cover this. Uh, being able to launch satellite into low Earth orbit every day would be a huge boost to the military. Currently, it costs about $350 million to launch a 1,500 to 3,000-pound satellite, and that's far less than when the space plane program was originally conceived. By contrast, DARPA hopes the hypersonic XS-1 will do each job for $5 million. That's pretty cool. Very cool. To weird shit on the internet, which is what this segment's about. Climate alarmist describes assault on science and words of Holocaust victim, victims. Climate alarmist Michael Mann thinks the attack on his climate science and his credibility are akin to Nazi persecution. Speaking at May 13th commencement address of Green Mountain College Penn State meteorology professor Michael Mann borrowed and adapted the words of Holocaust victims to describe himself. After complaining that never before have we witnessed science under the kind of assault it is because being subject to right now in the country, man shamefully modified the words of Protestant pastor and outspoken public foe of Adolf Hitler. First they came for immigrants, and I did not speak out because I was not an immigrant. Then they came for scientists, and I did not speak out because I am not a scientist. Then they came for the environmentalists, and I did not speak out because I was not an environmentalist. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Friends, let this not be our legacy. You've got to be kidding me. And you never heard this, did you? The problem with alarmists like this, your stats are faulty. When you tell the world we won't have an ice cap by 2010 something, because I can remember the original term, and there's more ice caps, and you change the name of your shit from global warming to climate change, people aren't going to follow you, you stupid Pied Piper. Another crazy thing that shows that we are really fucked up. America gets its first Black Lives Matter summer camp for 10-year-old kids. The Los Angeles chapter of BLM has scheduled a week-long youth activist camp for this summer. A taxpayer-funded professor of Pan-African Studies at California State University Los Angeles is organizing the BLM summer camp. It's free for all blacks and blacks only, age 10 to 18. Wow. Do you think anybody could ever run a white nationalist camp? Because that's the same thing this is, folks. This is just inherent racism. You're educating your kids to be racist. Is that okay? Do you not have problems with this?
other things on the top of Judd today. Judd? Did I say Judd? I meant Drudge. Drudge. Inside Obama's secret outreach to Russia this week. And I didn't cover it because there's not enough documentation to really talk about it. They went after Jared Kushner. But now there's actually proof that Obama was doing it too. What, what does that what does that say, folks? This Russia thing is so bad. It's just so bad. I I just can't see how this can continue on and still be a story when you have nothing. The next one kind of ties into our previous segment. Uh, Japan, anybody knows about Japan and Korea? They're very weird about pornography. Uh, it's banned, but at one time in Korea, you could have legal prostitution. And of course, in Japan, you can't show pornography. It's all blurred out. Um, anything of na- nudity in Japan is blurred. But they have weird things like bathhouses. Japan Bathhouse offers naked school to lure bathers. The Tokyo Bathhouse is offering classes on topics ranging from comedy to gaming in hopes of luring young bathers and reversing Japan's dying tradition of communal baths. During one recent session of the naked school at Hindayo Bathhouse, nine men sat around the bath listening to an expert on ancient board game Go. I Any soldier that went to doggone Korea for Team Spirit, you got free tickets to go to a bathhouse. That was one of the most disturbing moments of my young life. I was 20-something. This was 1990-something. I was stationed there. And all the men would walk up and want to touch your muscles because we were so much more muscular than Koreans. But that wasn't the creepy part. The creepy part was literally watching other men sit right behind each other naked, scrubbing each other. Um. Maybe some will say that's homophobic, but I, I, I don't get down with scrubbing each other. Me and my wife don't take baths together, for Christ's sake. So, um, yeah, weird culture. Weird. I know it's a European thing too, but wow. Now, because of all the crazy shit going on in the world in ISIS, U.S. weighs banning laptop computers on international flights. It'll have to go on the baggage. That's sad. Can you imagine flying long distance and not being able to be on your computer? I would lose my friggin' mind. Yeah. A stat that does not surprise me, but found it on Drudge, and it took me to polizetlifez.com. Islam on track to overtake Christianity as the world's number one religion. Pew Research Center study projects Muslim population in America will double by 2050, thanks to Democrats. Based on demographic trends, Pew projects that Muslim population will grow from 70% worldwide between 2015 and 2060, compared with an overall population growth of 32%, that far exceeds the projected growth of the second and third fastest growing religion, Christianity and Hinduism. And I don't have a problem with it, but at the same time, 
it scares me because of, well, for you progressives, it would be the same thing as if far-right, white nationalists, alt-right, whatever you guys are terming stuff now, were all of a sudden growing in popularity and they were attacking and killing people all over the place, which you say they are, but they're not. You have no proof. When you do, they turn out to be a Bernie Sanders person. Anyway, yeah. Paris Black Feminist Festival prohibited to white. Sparks outrage. What is that about? The first edition of the Nyan Sapo Festival, due to run from July 28th to 30th at the Cultural Center in Paris, builds itself as an event rooted in black feminism activism on a European scale. Four-fifths of the festival area will be set aside as non-mixed space for black women, according to its website in French. Another space will be non-mixed area for black people, regardless of Edger, and another space will be open to all. We are really becoming more segregated than we wanted to. Yeah. Okay, and our last article is Eight Weird Mysteries of the Internet and Other Telecommunication. The Internet is a strange and often mysterious place. Websites with no meaning behind them balloon out of nowhere. Odd meaning messages appear in our Twitter feeds. And creepy images haunt the deepest recesses of Google. It's not too much of a stretch to imagine a horror film taking place entirely in a YouTube comment section. It's not already happening. The following videos and images and stories all have one thing in common. They're truly bizarre. And some might be maybe liable to make your flesh crawl. Tried reading them alone at night with the wind pounds, the window outside, and you may find yourself believing an internet ghost after all. The first one is the I Feel Fantastic video. A mysterious video first posted in the late 2000s. No one can agree on the origins of I Feel Fantastic. What they can't agree on is that it's unbelievably creepy. Features a blank-faced female android stood in front of a dark window singing I Feel Fantastic in a robotic monotone. It's like an image ripped from David Lynch's Nightmare. The video's backstory is no less weird. Reddit claims it first appeared under the title, I Didn't Make This, when users contacted the original poster, would only tell them he got a hold of it from a company specializing in weird, rare videotapes, and this was number 17 in their collection. They, too, had no idea where it came from. All they would note is that it appeared to have been filmed on a set using fake windows, a thought that made it seem even creepier. Other than... Others have conjectured it shows an aftermath of a murder. At one point, the video meaninglessly cuts to a zoom-in of a patch of grass. The story goes the android represents a woman who was killed and buried there, and the video is the murderer's sick way of turning it into a joke. Even if you don't buy this more outlandish theory, there's no doubt the robotic voice and empty stare will send shivers up your spine. I am... Now going to play this video.
Okay, that that was creepy. The next one's Reddit thread A858 or A858DE4FF56D9, whatever. Somewhere on Reddit lurks a bizarre thread. It consists of single user posting vast reams of encoded text over and over again with no explanation. Although assumed to be the work of a bot, it's known that someone is studying the data. When a Reddit user casually remarked that A858 was a Stonehenge of Reddit, an encoded picture of Stonehenge was uploaded. Another post, an image of a troll appeared. Beyond the handful of similar occurrences, though, there's been nothing but that same indecipherable code for two whole years. Theories as to its purpose rebound. The nicest is that A858 delivered set up a bot that would catch the attention of Reddit intending to be a mystery pure of mystery's sake. Others have darker ideas. In March 2015, the New York Post reported that Mossad was actively monitoring Reddit for secret codes detailing planned terrorist attacks. These codes frequently contain prime numbers just like A858. But they then the, why would post an image of Stonehenge? To this day, the mystery is yet to be solved. You have a hankering to. You can try your hand at it. Be warned, though. A858 tends to delete everything and move locations to the moment too many people start looking. The Marianas Web. Known as the deepest point on Earth, the Marianas Trench is a jagged gash across the Pacific floor. An impossibly remote, mysterious world hiding below our own. The Marianas Web is an internet equivalent, born from the strange myths surrounding the deep web. It equals parts mystery, myth, and eerie fact. 
If you've never heard of it before, the deep web is, web is basically the underlying ID to normal web's ego, a dark place hidden from sunlight where all humanity's worst collective impulses come out to play. Can't be accessed via a search engine. You need a tour for that. And it's crawling with people making shady deals, engaging all manners of nefarious activities. It goes downward and level. The top level is all the usual stuff from Facebook and Google to the mainstream media and so on. The second, an academic database. Beneath that is where much of the more shadowy and illegal activities go on. The fourth is the Marianas web, the deepest part of the deep web. What is housed there is a secret no one knows the answer to. It's said many of humanity's darkest secret lie in wait in the shadowy depths waiting to be dredged up again. It's also said you need a quantum computer to unlock it, something that doesn't currently exist. What's waiting to be found in the Marianas web? We may never know. The Max Headroom Signal. If you're watching TV in Chicago on November 22nd, 1987, you have been experiencing one of telecommunications' most enduring mysteries. In the middle of a 9 o'clock news sportscast, again at 11 p.m., the television signal was hijacked for approximately 25 seconds. The culprit, Max Hedrum, or at least a guy in Max Hedrum mass, standing before a waving background and leering demonically in the camera, he began to talk in a strange groaning voice before fading away into the ether. When the signal was hijacked the second time, he managed a full minute of gibberish before a woman appeared, removed his trousers, and spanked him. The scary part... To this day, he has never been apprehended, and no one has any idea why he did it. That's despite a large FBI investigation and hundreds of thousands of dollars. In a recent article, Vice listed a couple of suspects, but the details are sketchy, and there's no way to say how accurate they are. I never knew that. Hmm. Web Driver Torso. A series of mysterious shapes move across the screen. A high-pitched tone alternates in the background. The description gives no explanation, and a quick check of the user's account reveals they've uploaded over 77,000 such videos in the past nine months. Welcome to the weird world of WebDriver Torso, a YouTube account that came to prominence in 2014. WebDriver Torso was the last word in mystery. Each video featured nothing more than electronic tones over 10 images of a blue and red rectangle, except for one. In the middle of the series, a 10-second clip of the Eiffel Tower appeared with a message... Matei is highly intelligent. That was it. No explanation. No nothing. Just that one out-of-place video. When the videos were first uncovered, people didn't know what to make of them. Were they attempts to communicate with aliens? A high-tech version of the random number spies used to broadcast across secret radio networks in the Cold well? War? Well, not quite. The videos were ultimately revealed to be the work of Google running some tests on its YouTube software. Today, typing WebDriver Torso into Google will result in a strange box appearing in your browser. Mortis.com. Who put it here? What did it mean? Why did the feds get involved? Finally, out, finding out anything about Mortis.com is a strange, torturous process. There's only one thing everyone agrees on for sure. It was deeply weird. A single-page website protected by a user password combination was picked by a 4chan user who discovered whole terabytes of data hosted on the server. No one knew what it meant or why it was there. All they could do was trace it to someone called Ling. This is where things get odd. It turns out Ling owned other websites, each more mysterious than the last. One called 
C-T-H-U-L-H-U.net said nothing but dead but dreaming on a black background with no other pages and nothing to click. Another was listed in, in the name of an unidentified woman as 4chan users tried to figure it all out. The feds mysteriously got involved, resulting in Mortis.com being taken down. Today, all the questions relating to it are still unsolved. What was going on at Mortis.com? Was it an elaborate cover or something? Only Ling will know. Katie Robinson and Jeff the Killer. In 2008, a girl named Katie Robinson allegedly uploaded a photo of herself onto a 4chan. Overweight Katie was immediately attacked by a board user, resulting in her going offline. A day later, someone came on claiming to be Katie's sister and said she killed herself as a result of bullying. The story has never been confirmed. Not long after her death, the character known as Jeff the Killer started appearing online with a half-made smile, creepy black eyes, and pale white face. Jeff quickly became an internet sensation. The character was written into creepy pasta stories, which are really creepy. We've covered them on the show. Appeared in video and even cropped up in video games. At this point, people began to wonder where his face came from. It was clearly a Photoshop job of what? Then some of 4chan board users made an unselling discovery. An early version of Jeff the Killer looked remarkably like Katie Robinson. Since then, it's been speculated that one of the guys who bullied Katie took her image and photoshopped it, chopped it into the hideous Jeff as a kind of joke. However, this theory has never been confirmed, nor has Katie's story. It remains a mystery, albeit one that might have depressing, sinister solution. Cicada 3301. It's the most famous puzzle of the Internet age. A crazy challenge that ran for three years only and on and off, with people have hung all stories of crazy theories, yet four years after it first appeared, we still have no idea what Cicada 3301 might be. In January 2012, a string of fiendish puzzles appeared across the Internet, combining literary references, cryptography, and philosophy that were largely unsolved. The tiny few tenacious and clever enough to crack them were rewarded with yet more puzzles that got increasingly complex and elaborate as the game progressed. Then things got really weird. Across the world, images and puzzles related to the game simultaneously appeared affixed to lampposts and in crowded city centers. Then a month after they began... The game ended. No one knew who had won. No one knew what the reward for cracking the puzzle was. And no one knew who was behind it. Since then, Cicada 3301 has been played three more times. No one who has won has ever spoken out about their experiences or even publicly identified themselves. It's been speculated that the CIA, NSA, or owners of cryptocurrency may have been behind it. But no one really knows. Wow, the internet is a weird place, folks. And that's a good way to end this podcast. So that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. Send comments about the track by sending an email to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOPpodcast gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flyover Politic webpage, foppodcast.com to see links to feeds for the show, links to our Facebook page, and to email us. There you'll also see links to every episode on the episode release page and my blog on the blog page. Finally, at foppodcast.com, you suggest segments for the show. Our next podcast will be sometime in the coming week. I'm not going to set a date. I'm just going to do one when I get the time. I'm working a different schedule this week, so I won't be off to 4 o'clock every day. I'd like to close again. 
with uh, paying my respect to the fallen, as we covered in that segment. And there's a lot of people that spider webs out to a lot of families who don't see this as the kickoff to summer, nor the Indy 500 barbecue time. It is a time of remembrance. I'll be saying prayers today for all those who have lost their loved ones. Um, it takes a lot and a lot of people sacrificing their lives to make this country the great country we are. Unless you're on the resistance, and I, I understand you don't think it's a great country, but it is a great country. And um, it's just not a day for a barbecue. So I hope at least sometime during this weekend you took time, took a pause, and thought about all the heroes that have laid their life down for this country to remain free. It is um, an awesome price to be paid. And their families are still paying that price to this day. So until next time, my friends, thanks for listening. And remember the fallen.